every American citizen must have an equal right to vote. The administration of elections is primarily a state and local responsibility. Whether you voted for the very first time or waited in line for a very long time, by the way, we have to fix that. This is Brianna Lennon. Welcome to High Turnout Wide Margins. I am the county clerk for Boone County, Missouri, and with me is my co-host. Eric Fay, Director of Elections in St. Louis County. And today we are really excited first to have our first in-person interview, but also because we have Ryan Macias here who's going to talk to us about auditing and best practices and how 2020 has influenced and impacted how election auditing is moving into the future. So thank you so much for being here. First, we always ask, how did you end up working in elections? As with probably every story in elections, um, I did not anticipate coming into elections. Uh, in 2005, I had moved to Sacramento, and about a week after I had moved there, my mom had a class reunion and ran into an old friend of hers who happened to be the Deputy Secretary of State for elections in California. And he said, hey, why doesn't Ryan come out and sign up for this internship that we'll be starting in about two weeks? Long story short, after having lunch with him three times, he basically said that he had forgotten uh, his wallet and that I needed to sit down and have a conversation with uh, the lady who was in charge of the internships. And she walked up and said, thank you for applying. Here's all your credentials. And you start tomorrow um, at 8 a.m. And I said, what are you talking about? And she said, well, you know, I was told that you're going to be one of our new interns and uh, the internship starts tomorrow. You can show up if you want to, but you don't have to. And I walked in the very next day at 8 a.m. And uh, I was promised that it was a two two-week internship. They hired approximately 20 people and fired everybody except for two after the election. And so I didn't need to worry about this being a long-term gig or anything else. You know, uh, they hired 20 approximately and they fired everyone except for two. I happened to be one of those two and uh, just fell in love with it and came at it from a non-political and more technical and to this you know conversation from an auditing standpoint. I was working with the voting systems area and um, you know started looking at it from a process standpoint ones and zeros I was like this is you know this is simple a candidate gets a vote or a candidate doesn't get a vote and so really just kind of changed the entire dynamics of the way that voting systems were looked at back in 2005 and uh, after the internship ended I got hired on full-time and now been in the industry for 16 years so Ryan I guess bring us up to date now you have been super active throughout 2020 and now whether you expect it or not very active post-election uh, into 2021 so if you could relatively succinctly tell us what you did throughout 2020 leading up to the November elections and after that take us through uh, you know what's been going on after the election so I, I wear multiple hats. I'll start with that. Uh, I do work uh, as a subject matter expert for the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, but I also do um, stuff outside uh, on my own. And uh, so March hit, and we were hearing about primaries that were shutting down, and so we you know, worked with the Government Coordinating Council and the Sector Coordinating Councils to help people implement uh, processes for vote by mail, um, knowing that that was going to change, help people implement, you know, some of the COVID mitigations, worked with the CDC and so on and so forth. 
Fast forward though to uh, September-ish and uh, I get a call and it was like, yeah, you know what, we need to have observers and people assisting with the November election. Um, do you mind going out to the state of Georgia um, and helping, you know, being out there to observe what is going on? So uh, I ended up going out there for the November election in the state of Georgia. That election went all the way until the middle of January. So I was out there uh, doing that simultaneously. There was the audit in Antrim County um, based on uh, some mis and disinformation that came out or actually some malinformation, I should say, because there were some truths behind what happened, but it spun into a huge um, undertaking. And there was a air quote uh, forensic audit that took place by ASOG, Allied Security Operations Group, and I ended up writing the rebuttal report against uh, their crazy findings. So fast forward now, here we are continuing to uh, litigate the 2020 election in Maricopa County. And so um, I am out as an expert observer working with uh, Secretary of State Katie Hobbs to observe and uh, report out some of, you know, the, the mis and disinformation and, and rebut, pre-bunk, um, debunk uh, some of the issues that are coming out of that uh, quote-unquote audit. Can you go a little bit into what makes a good audit and why there is so much of a pushback to the Maricopa audit, the Antrim audit? First and foremost, an audit is conducted by professionals, by elections officials that know what is going on and or uh, entities that are, you know, no auditing. So specifically in Antrim County, um, they brought in an organization, like I said, called ASOG. And you can, you know, do some research on ASOG itself. Uh, The Washington Post actually just put out a huge article on them. But basically, they came in with the report already written, uh, what I will call the end state. They knew what they wanted to report. They knew what they wanted to find. Um, They just had to find a means by which they could report that out. And so it wasn't really an audit. Um, I have to say, based on what I have seen so far in Maricopa County, it's very similar. I have a feeling that they have an in-state. They know what they want to report. They just need to be able to build the evidence to be able to report it. That's not how an audit is conducted. Our elections officials have processes, they have procedures, they've got SOPs, they've got chain of custody, they've got tracking sheets. And so a real audit, you know, there's multiple kinds of audits, but um, typically there's, you know, a post-election audit, which is to look to see if the outcome was correct. That's the one that everybody knows in elections and that almost every single uh, election official conducts, whether it's a post-election logic and accuracy test, whether it's a percentage-based audit where you pull uh, X number of precincts and audit those machines to ensure that the machines were counting correctly, or a risk-limiting audit where you run a formula to determine whether or not the uh, outcome was correct by auditing ballots against their cash vote records. And then again, elections officials go back and they audit all of their SOPs and all of their chain of custody documents to ensure that you know everything went well. And that is what we call a canvas period. And so that is a true audit, unlike the, what we're seeing taking place in Antrim County um, and in Maricopa County. Ryan, what resources are available for election officials across the country that might be getting calls and emails from people in their respective jurisdictions that are asking about what happened in Antrim County or in Georgia or Arizona? You know, how should election officials respond to that? Uh, Because these things in most cases are happening far away from their own jurisdiction and their procedures that they're not familiar with. 
Yeah. So first and foremost is, you know, if it is in regards to uh, Antrim and or to uh, Maricopa specifically, you know, local elections officials should reach out. We have a tight knit community here. Find out, you know, what actually is transpiring there instead of just going off of some of the reports and what you may be reading on Twitter and so on and so forth. Or you can reach out to, you know, some of the expert observers the Secretary of State's office has uh, brought into it. You can reach out to the Secretary of State. Um, and similarly with Antrim County, you know, when Antrim County report came out, a lot of people were reaching out to the Secretary of State. And, uh, you know, the Secretary of State ended up conducting another recount uh, on the entire system just to show that the outcome was correct yet again. I, I would say reach out to the community, speak to the community. But that's, in, that's specific to those two jurisdictions. What can your jurisdiction do to basically build out that the trust and the confidence would be, I'm, I'm going to put, put on my CISA hat real quick. You know, CISA actually has a presentation that we gave here today in Missouri um, to the elections officials here about some of the things that you can do to build that trust, to build that evidence. And we like to call it the three T's. Uh, which is basically tracking your information, so uh, garnering all of the evidence, having all the documentation in place, so that you can then test your systems. And so talking about all the different things that you can test to ensure that you are tracking everything correctly. And then the third T is to then go out and tell it. And elections are very transparent. And so, uh, you know, if you've tracked all of your documentation, if you are doing all of your testing, then it should be very easy to tell your story and be able to build those truths. And if you build those truths, then hopefully we can start getting that trust back in uh, and that confidence uh, in our democratic institution. One of the things that's interesting to me about audits is it's not like... When I think about audits and you think about financial audits or performance audits or things like that, it's an assessment of how well you're doing compared to best practices and things like that. These types of audits are literally to make sure that everything was accurate and correct. And to that extent, I wonder what do you think is a good role for a local election authority to play in the auditing process? Is it something that should be handed over to somebody else? Is it something that they should be fully invested and involved in, or is that a conflict of interest? You know, as as an auditor as well, for both uh, ISO 9001 and 17025, I've conducted a lot of audits. And one of the things around auditing is that it should be an outside entity that is conducting it. But it should also be somebody who has an understanding, who has the knowledge. You usually bring in, you know, some sort of auditing firm when you're doing a financial audit who has a background in financial audits. And that is not what we're seeing in Antrim County. That is not what we're seeing in Maricopa County. We're seeing these organizations that, one, know nothing about elections, two, um, have never conducted audits, and so they're just having a really hard time even understanding, um, and you're seeing that in some of the reports that they're putting out. You know, what they're saying is breaking news, new finding is actually something that is really easily explainable by anybody with elections knowledge or, you know, an elections background. And so what I would say is, yeah, bring in somebody who has an understanding in, you know, in elections. So, for instance, Maricopa County back in February, January or February, they conducted a true forensic audit. And how did they do that? They brought in the two federally accredited voting system testing laboratories to come in and audit the system. 
and they conducted basically a post-election logic and accuracy test, a post-election audit on the tabulation to ensure that the count was correct. But then they went in and they did things that the EAC has set forth. They hashed the system and so basically ensured that the software was the certified software. They went in and they looked at the audit logs because they had an understanding of what would and should be in the audit logs to ensure that the systems were never connected to the internet. And, you know, and so they brought in somebody who was credible and had an understanding of, a, of elections, which is also why, you know, both in the Antrim County case and Maricopa case, uh, somebody reached out to me, even though I am not conducting the audit. Uh, what I later found out, uh, at least in Maricopa County specifically, is my name had been thrown out as one of the people to come in and conduct the audit. And when they decided to go with a group that literally had nothing to do with elections, had no knowledge of elections, instead, you know, they said, you know, would you be willing to come down and observe the audit so that you would be able to help pre-bunk and debunk, not help with the audit itself, but actually be there to observe and understand uh, where things are going wrong, some of the misreporting that they are doing, um, such as this week when they put out that, you know, all the databases had been deleted uh, within a 10-second review of a um, screenshot on Twitter, I was able to debunk the entire thing, um, but they literally just had a lack of understanding and no knowledge of what it was they were looking at. And, you know, someone such as I was able to to look at it in 10 seconds and say, you know, this is just based on a lack of understanding. Right. I'm curious. You've been on the ground now uh, all through 2020, now into 2021. You've been in a bunch of different states for all of us in the elections community you know, you never know when something like this might happen. You know, Antrim County, there was some legitimate human error uh, that occurred. That can happen in any jurisdiction across the country. If there's a very close election, there's, uh, you know, increased scrutiny, and these calls for audits and recounts and things might might come about. From your experience and being on the ground in these places, do you have any recommendations for local election administrators in, you know, if, if something like this comes about, what can they prepare in advance to prepare themselves in their offices for these kind of onslaughts, for lack of a better term, the media onslaught, the onslaught from from partisans in, in this case? Yeah, so I go back to basically the three T's, um, the tracking, the testing, and the telling. And um, But more specifically is, uh, you know, have written procedures. Start with your SOPs. Make sure that you have documented all of the process and procedures that that you do. You know, I know, you know, looking back 10 years ago or so, um, again, elections are very transparent. And so elections officials invite the public in and invite people in to watch their LNAs, to walk them through the process and procedures. Continue doing that, but you know now it has gone beyond just being able to tell them is you need to have that documented evidence as well. And so you know, I think about some of you know the elections officials that we have out there, particularly those in very, very small communities who may not have things written down, may not have things tracked, and you know, it's it was enough in the past to be able to say, just come in, come look at my process and see what we are doing. No longer is that good enough. So document your um, procedures, document your chain of custody, 
have batch control sheets, know where your ballots are going you know, from and to, know where your voting system is going from and to, tracking all of that information, and then make sure that you're testing. And do this pre-election. Do your pre-election testing. Run exercises. Look to see if you have any gaps in your procedures by doing tabletops. Um, and understanding, you know, what your processes are by testing all of those processes to know that if you need to go and tell that story, um, as people start to put out mis, dis, and malinformation around your process, you can go back and you can say, wait a minute, I showed you, or I had this documented, I have this on my website, and it's been there since September, I ran this test, here is the proof um, that everything was working well, and that's from October, and here we are now in November, and I'm telling you my story. But again, also get in front of it. Pre-bunking is one way to get in front of some of that mis and dis, uh, mis, dis, and malinformation. You can't stop what we call the MDM, mis, dis, and malinformation, from happening, but what you can do is anticipate what may come out and being able to put out your process, your procedures, your test results, and getting in front of the individuals and, you know, again, just have that transparency, um, having, you know, live streaming of your tabulation and all of those types of things um, that makes elections as transparent as they are. You just uh, touched on the live streaming of vote by mail, you know, ballot opening, things like that. There were some examples in 2020 of you know the the live streaming being misused are are there any best practices as it relates to you know live streaming your tabulation or ballot opening things like that keep the originals um, <laughs> uh, yeah so i mean you know Again, we're human beings. People are going to make mistakes, and that's where the malinformation comes into place. Is uh, you know, but if you're being transparent and you have the documentation of what was right, you know, uh, I, as we know, um, some of that uh, live streaming was used because somebody did something that may not have been a best practice. But if you have the documentation around what the best practice is, then it's a lot easier to point to. Oops, somebody made a mistake. You know, we all make mistakes, we're all human, and you can go back and you can show the evidentiary proof that, you know what, you know, we have a, we had a poll worker, we had an election judge, we had somebody who, you know, is a temporary worker and made a mistake. That's not the normal process. We rectified it, and here was the process for rectifying it, and we moved forward. Um, but then there was other instances that we know where the live feed was truly misused. Um, and so just true disinformation where it was either cut, you know, it was a subset of the information. Um, and in those cases, we were able to go back to the originals and, again, bring in an outside entity who was a trusted and knowledgeable source to go back and watch the video, you know, and then you get your validators who can come out and say, nope, that was all MDM. That was just misdisc malinformation. Somebody's putting something out for whatever reason or whatever rationale. But here is the actual proof. Um, we can live stream the proof for anybody to see again um, if we wanted to or, you know, if that is a good practice or best practice and or necessary. Um, but also you can then bring in an auditor to go back and take a look at it and be able to debunk uh, the information that is going out. I'm trying to think of a coherent way to ask this question, but <laughs> we, we've talked a lot about practices and human error and things like that. New Hampshire's is all about the actual voting equipment miscounting things. And I don't know anything about whether they do logic and accuracy testing before the election 
or anything like that. And there's obviously odd things like I just saw on Twitter that one of the ballots had been taped back together by the voter and then run through the machine and it worked. And some of these, the the ballots themselves ran through twice because of the way that they were. And this is also old equipment. So do you think that there are some potential benefits as much as we have all of this disinformation and malinformation that it could potentially have an effect on voting equipment and provide some leverage to some of these local election authorities that can't get resources to replace it? We do have old equipment out there, and definitely uh, I, I wish that both the federal government, the state government, and local governments would uh, continuously fund local elections officials. Um, that's something that we have advocated for um, and been talking about for years upon, you know, years and years is elections are underfunded. And so getting in new equipment that does allow for specific types of audits, like an RLA, um, you know, newer equipment uh, produces a cast vote record that provides the artifacts that are necessary for you to be able to conduct an audit. You have uh, new digital scanners that will take a picture of the actual ballot so that you can then go back and audit, uh, you know, what has, you know, you can see a picture of the ballot that some of those uh, old technologies do not have. And so, you know, again, if, if a local election official can't get the resources and or the funding, then these are the types of things that they can point to. You know, these are the artifacts and the reason that mis and dis and malinformation is coming out is because I actually do not have the resources that are necessary to, to build the evidence to show the proof uh, when something does go wrong. Um, and, you know, I, I haven't really uh, my head's been down in the, the sand in Maricopa County, so I haven't really seen what's been going on in New Hampshire. But I can say in Antrim County, I mean, that's what happened was they did a logic and accuracy test. And then after found out that there was uh, there was a problem. And so they went in and made a change to their ballot definition um, and did not end up retesting that. And so when they actually scanned their ballots, there was a miscalculation. But that is also why we have a canvas period. And so, you know, looking back at it, because they had the type of technology that they had, because they had the systems that they had, because they had the processes that they had to go back through and audit the conduct of the election, they were able to find that error, rectify it, and put out the correct results. And so, uh, unfortunately, um, somebody took that piece of truth, um, which was a human error that was made, and ran with that, even though the elections officials, you know, had the artifacts that were necessary to build the truths. And so, again, I think what a local election official should be able to do, particularly if they have old equipment, outdated equipment, um, one, there's a cybersecurity risk, so use that front where necessary. But secondarily is, you know, from, you know, what we're all hearing from a mis dis and malinformation perspective is be able to show those evidence of proof that, you know what, I don't even have the artifacts that are necessary to be able to do this tracking, testing, telling, and therefore I need the resources necessary to get the right equipment in to do so. So Ryan, maybe to end on, and I don't, you don't have to answer this question if you don't want to, it's maybe not a fair question, but you've been a road warrior this last year or so. You've been to a lot of different places, and as election officials, we never like to be, you know, in, in the media, in the newspaper. For some industries, you know, any news is good news. It's not the case for election officials necessarily. Uh, so we don't hear a lot about um, some of the good things folks have done and some of the, frankly, heroic things they've done. I wonder, I wonder if in your 
your trips and your observations you'd like to highlight any stories or examples of you know some really great work local election officials have done in the face of really adverse circumstances kind of like yo mtv raps you want to do any shout outs <laughs> <laughs> yeah so uh in the famous words of uh friend colleague and and former boss uh matt masterson you know, elections officials are never going to see that headline that says uh, elections officials did a hell of a job. And if I could sum up this entire election, elections officials did a hell of a job in the midst of a pandemic, in the midst of foreign influence, in the midst of, um, you know, all of the circumstances that surrounded them, we conducted the most secure election in American history. And that was put out by um, the Government Coordinating Council Executive Committee and said, you know, uh, we have the evidence of proof that this election was correct. And, you know, we were able to do that because uh, we had paper ballots, because we have the artifacts that are necessary to be able to conduct these types of audits. And so without, you know, giving a shout out to any specific election jurisdiction, I want to give a shout out to each and every local election official, each and every election official that is out there and say you are all heroes. And I thank you for everything that you do to make this election be uh, secure and to you know, to continue to build confidence or try to build confidence in our democratic institution. So thank you all. You're all heroes. To your previous point about voting equipment and resources and things like that, I, I think you also touched on the fact that there are so many contingencies built into the elections process, and it's not just if there's a failure point in one place that the rest of it just falls down. We have all of these different mechanisms in place to check and double check and fix if something is caught along the way. And I was wondering if you could speak to just the general health of the elections process in the United States because of that. Yeah, so elections are very resilient here in the U.S. Like I said, elections officials, they they naturally track all of this information. You know, we, we have the document of proof. And specifically for 2020, um, you know, we can go back to the paper ballots and we have a canvas period that requires you to go back and validate and check everything. And so that's built into every single state. Uh, every elect local election official conducts a canvas of the election and then every state conducts a canvas of the election. And so, uh, you know, this conversation is really around auditing, and but the canvas is naturally an audit, and that allows us to correct any types of mistakes that may have occurred. And we have the ability to do so specifically in 2020 um, because so many ballots were um, voted or so many votes were on paper. Um, you know, I just think back about the type, you know, the states that. Um, I had the opportunity to observe specifically Georgia, you know, if they did not move to paper, they would not have been able to conduct the risk limiting audit that they conducted. They would not have been able to conduct the recount that they did in the form in which they did to be able to show that proof. And so um, our elections are very resilient, but we can continue to expand upon the types of things that we document, the proof that we build, um, and the testing that we do so that we can continue to show that resiliency and not just make the voters trust that we are doing it. Rather, we can have the proof to show that we are doing it. Ryan Macias, thank you so much for being the first 
in-person guest on High Turnout Wide Margins. We hope everybody listening enjoyed it. And uh, we, again, thank you, Ryan, for doing it. And we hope you tune in next time to another exciting episode of High Turnout Wide Margins.